Hi, I'm Erin. And I'm Kimona. And this is Rebels Advocate, the podcast where we break down the shit show that is the current social climate and reframe the radical. Let's get started. Hi, Erin. Hey, Kimona. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Having a latte, but it's not with oat milk. It's like lactate milk. Interesting. And I, ne- I never do that. Um, That's definitely a choice. I mean, why? It, because <laughs> I have no oat milk in the house and I was not leaving my apartment. Okay. That's valid. Why. Okay. Is it is it good? Yeah, it, but it tastes like milk. Yes, that's that is the biggest problem I, as someone without a dairy allergy, have with milk. It tastes like milk i i like i well used to like milk Mm, i never have but like i do taste the difference because i i drink lactate products because i don't i'm like i'm not allergic to the dairy i'm allergic to the lactose Mm -hmm. and so i can have lactose free products but like i don't usually i like put it in stuff i don't just drink drink it it. (laughs) yeah so it's something new experiences Yay. <laughs> old, new old experiences. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like a throwback, if you will? Oh, uh, yeah. I think Ooh. if someone like gave me... I always get that way when I consume something that's like, I'm not certain that they gave me the right product. I'm like, oh my gosh, can someone taste this? Is, is this dairy? And they taste it and they're like, no, that is so not dairy. And I'm like, okay, honestly, I don't, I don't remember. So I don't remember I don't what know. it would taste like. So. Yeah, I don't know. That's on, that's on you normal folks to figure that out for me. Love that. And that's in um, gastrointestinal issues. Hot girls got tummy problems. That's a fact. I think it was, I think I've said that before on this podcast. You have. Um, but it makes, it's on brand. It's, it, it is who we are. It is 90% of my personality. Hot girl with tummy issues. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a fun time. Um, by that, I mean, I would love nothing more did I not have this. <laughs> Uh, yeah that's what my shirt says everything sucks nice with a rainbow it's got a little rainbow i couldn't even see it so don't worry guys you're not missing out i didn't see it she had to show me it i don't know that didn't make sense it's fine um so what are we talking about today erin well here's my thought process (laughs) um you know, in realm of like, what am I an expert on, per se, of like, you know, how we started this whole podcast is, if there was something we didn't feel qualified to talk about, we would have a guest on who we felt was qualified to talk about it. So we've done that in certain realms. And if we haven't talked about an issue that feels like super on brand for us, that might be why we're just not there yet for like, having the right person. So for me, of something I feel more of an expert on is psychology. That's my degree. I've been interested in it forever. I'm hopefully soon going to be enrolled as a PhD student. Um, So I feel much more well-versed in that uh, topic. So it kind of just started of wanting to talk about racism and psychology as a whole, because there are some really prominent examples of that in psychology. And, you know, psychology in it, it is almost kind of a newer field. Like, obviously it's not brand new, but right. it certainly has not been talked about in the extent that physical 
body ailments, doctors, illnesses have been talked about. So it's still a relatively new field, um, which means that a lot of the undoing of the problems in the field are only just now really being discussed because, you know, you need to go through cycles of it for people to start seeing the problems. Um, and where psychology and the mental health field really is at is kind of aligning with a lot of the social justice movements that um, are going on in the this country specifically, but the Western world, and just really unpacking where there are flaws. Um, and I think that really goes, I think the perfect start to talk about is an infamous case um, in psychology, and that is known in the entire <laughs> realm of psychology as like the biggest fuck up. Um, and that's called the Tuskegee case. Uh, to give a short summary of what it was, is basically what happened was that Black people were given syphilis or found out that they had syphilis and the researchers and doctors who found out didn't give them any of the preventative care or even tell them that they were positive. Therefore, they were giving it to their partners and to their children and uh, syphilis was a death sentence. It's not a cute, fun, flirty STD of <laughs> here's some medication. And also like this was going on uh, decades and decades and decades ago, long, long, long time ago. Um, so ultimately, for the sake of research, air quotes, um, Black people were killed off mm -hmm. and not being given proper medication when doctors and researchers knew that their lives were on the line and let them give it to more Black folks. So, yeah, that yeah, is... That is a particularly like heart-wrenching story for me because the fact that they it's not like there were no treatment options available it's that because they wanted to see you know what how syphilis plays out in the body they decided to just use these black folk as as guinea pigs just like they knew that it would end in death they just weren't sure how long what other symptoms would come up blah 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 so they're like we're gonna just like not treat you and I'm yep. pretty sure that there are some people who thought they were being treated and, Correct. but they actually weren't being, and that's just like, it's absolutely terrifying. Like what? Why for the most part, that? for the most part, there was just people weren't being told. Like people were knew that they were, people were trying to see if they had something wrong with them. And the doctors were like, no, you're good. Psych. Incorrect. Um, obviously, there's so much more to this uh, research study and the implications, but obviously this quick summary of the results of the mm -hmm. conclusion of what happened is a prime example of how a development between healthcare and people of color have been at, you know, at war, you know, it's rightfully so that people of color, specifically black people, are not trusting of doctors and it's for a million other reasons, but this is a perfect example of why when they seek help, they don't receive it. 
or when they're misdiagnosed, they're mistreated, they're used as guinea pigs. And this is pretty much universal across the board of how it works, not just psychology. It, it totally goes into the fields of healthcare as well. Um, and that's not to say that every doctor treats Black people differently, but again, the system that is in place allows for Black people to have higher death rates um, and just higher a lot of things, higher blood pressure, higher stress level, higher cardiac, um, like cardiovascular issues. And that's not simply because black people are more likely to get these conditions or are more likely to die simply because they are black. It is, although there are some conditions that are more common in people of color than white people, just as it is vice versa, um, it's mostly because the care that is required to have people survive these conditions or prevent these conditions from occurring are not being given um, or are not being given properly or too late. Um, so yeah, that was the real premise of this discussion of how has how can we create this discussion and make sure that people are talking about it, that it's not... Like research does not show um, strong evidence that Black people are more likely to get conditions because of melanin. Like that's not what the research shows. Um, so I think it's very important to have this discussion. Yes, absolutely. And I love that you brought this up. I think it's it's such an we're in such an interesting time, like you mentioned earlier, where I feel like people are really starting to actually process some of this information. It's obviously not as widespread as it should be. And there's, you know, the whole system needs to be repaired and it needs, someone needs to fix it. No, everyone needs to work together to fix it. Not just one person, um, but <laughs> just I, the I, one. Right. Just one, some, just one person will come out of the woodworks and have all the answers. Right. <laughs> but I find this really interesting. Um, just as, you know, being a black person who goes to the doctor on occasion, uh, I was, I went to the gynecologist recently, um, which yay for me, because that's, a, I hate going to the gynecologist. I hope other people, with <laughs> I love, vaginas most people do. I love going to the gynecologist. Interesting. I just have a really good relationship with my provider and they make me feel safe so oh I love that for you as someone who has a lot of me medical conditions like usually when I go to the doctor I'm not happy to be there because I don't feel listened to um as a woman and my gynecologist is like one of the only ones I don't feel that way so oh my god I love that that's amazing but this is kind of what I wanted to talk about like how with all of you know the the history and the, these issues how it can even just be difficult to like advocate for yourself as a patient like as a black woman walking into the room when i'm being told like xyz like oh your bmi is too high like and i'm i really want to fire back with well actually did you know that bmi is racist <laughs> <laughs> but like they do like, know that they do know that right but just also so, yeah. I, I feel like that's going to impact my quality of care so it's it's really I was just like wrestling with this as I'm sitting in the gynecologist's office and she's telling me things. And I'm just like, some of what you're saying 
is just rooted in racism and I, I don't know how to tell you this without you being like oh you're a you're a combative patient <laughs> I mean yeah this exists across the board and not to seep too much into the gender conversation because I would love this to stick to more of a race issue um, but this occurs in healthcare for women all mm -hmm. the time women especially with um, gynecological issues or like things like endometriosis or people with painful periods and painful time during sex, you're just told and expected to deal with it. And if you're not dealing with it, you're a problem. There's something wrong with you, not like physically, but just like you are a problem. Um, and women face these issues constantly and it doesn't just like women aren't believed. And, you know, even if you're speaking to a white woman doctor and you're a white woman, those issues still exist because those white women doctors are in a system that taught them that. So it's really hard to undo, um, but it exists and I, it only, you know, amplifies this intersection that we always talk about that makes it harder as a black woman to have to deal with race, racism in a physical uh, ailment setting and trying to seek help as well as being a woman. And those things are both heavy and have their own issues. So again, that intersection of being a woman of color is putting you at greater risk for not receiving proper care. Um, and one of the more things that I'm passionate about for that specific reason is um, the maternal death rates of black women. And that's because again, this intersection. Um, so black women are far more likely to die during childbirth. And that is not, again, because black women aren't capable of having babies and like white women are better at it. <laughs> Those, that's not the problem. The problem is that the healthcare that they're receiving is far more likely to dismiss their symptoms and create a life-threatening issue like hemorrhaging. And that is very, very common and not talked about enough because people are unable to see this influence of the system that they're in, especially as a lot of people who are assisting in birth are women. The nurses are usually women. The doctors tend to be women. It's not a room dominated by white men. Um, and yet these issues are still happening because they were taught and learned all their skills from this system. I don't think any of the nurses were taught, hey, did you know that the pulse oximeter on their finger is actually not going to read correctly and tell you that they are, their blood pressure or their pulse is at a dangerous level? That is because there is a miscommunication in the research of like what is acceptable for where your blood pressure or where your pulse should be at because the research that was done to create these baselines are done on white men. So the results differ for you if you are not a white man. Um, the whiteness definitely has the biggest impact, I would argue. Um, but yeah, people die all the time because the doctors aren't seeing life-threatening numbers because you're like, well, the white man wouldn't die with that blood pressure and that um, pulse. And these are issues and conversations that are like new to the surface that people are starting to have. Um, and it's vital 
to discuss because black people are dying from incorrect research because all of this research and these baselines are being created like BMI. Like you said, BMI is racist. Why? Because BMI, BMI was created on the basis of white men, what white male bodies were. And people of color, their bodies are often healthier at larger weights than white folks. So this assumption that people are at dangerous uh, weights for their height is not as relevant if you are a woman of color. And again, the research shows quite the opposite. The research isn't showing that there are these discrepancies based on our skin tone. It is based far more in the fact that these things are created for different people. It's, it's so true and people don't recognize that. And I think it's really important um, just like, even if you just look at like the context of how a lot of things were founded um, before this conversation, I was looking into specifically like the world of like psychology and like the, the history of that. Cause like, that's not, you know, not what I studied, not really my area um, of expertise per se, but I think it, it just speaks to the larger conversation because everything that I found was connecting it to this, this greater history of scientific racism. You know, it's really, it, it's been prominent in every uh, scientific field, really, that relates to humans and humanity, because there were just so many lies spread. Uh, some things that I found that were just like insane to me. The apparently father of American psychiatry, Benjamin Rush, right? So one of the things that he um, <laughs> that, that he described was that some uh, black folk, Negroes, if you will, uh, would suffer from an, an affliction called negritude, which was thought to be a mild form of leprosy, and the only cure was to become white. What? Uh, that's something. There was also this one I've heard about before. I don't know how to say words, so forgive me if I say it wrong, but drapetomania, um, which was basically the quote-unquote mental illness that caused enslaved black folks to like run away to freedom you know because that's meant that's obviously wanting to be a free human is a mental illness um and like these kinds of things were like like commonly believed uh, particularly by you know white folks who wanted to uphold the system of slavery but it's just really interesting when we take a look at how these systems intertwine um, because we want to think that our health care, that our mental health care is, you know, separate and rooted in all that is right and good. And it's all about doing, doing good and not harming people. But just like every other system, we have to recognize that there are things that are just unfortunately so harmful um, because of the horrible history that we have to deal with that people don't really want to uh but we we need to it's it's really i mean interesting on one hand and then sad on the other you know absolutely i mean these things you have to remember that when these like like i said it's not like it's a newer system this conversation of psychology and psychiatry and the brain as a mm -hmm. mental um like a whole different system um, because for a while people were really interpreting as just like 
this, you had your physical body and the spiritual body, and there was not a scientific connection between like what the brain is capable of. Um, but it is still old enough in the sense that the people in power who are able to be able to be these fathers of modern science are old white men, powerful right. white men. Um, not that I would argue like if that came about 50 years ago, I would probably still be old white men in charge because we've not stepped out of that system. But of course, you're not going to get this representation of all people and differences and what's the normal baseline for all people mentally or physically if you are only looking at white people, specifically white men. That is not representative of what other bodies are capable of. Um, and that resurrection of these issues is really relevant and essential in having this conversation. You have to know where this information is coming from and why it started this way and why we have to undo all of the damage that has been inflicted by creating this system based on one ideal individual at this time. And, you know, that's the truth is these people really thought that being the white man was the end all be all. And if you weren't, you were inferior and we cannot exist in a system like today if we're treating a specific person as the ideal human. <laughs> That's just not how it works. And science has always treated women and uh, people of color as inferior, sometimes not even human, subhuman. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of literal ideologies and scientific beliefs that have stemmed straight from the concept that like white people's brains were better and literally finding ways to allow white women, uh, white people to believe that they were better than. And it's really all stems from the rationalization of white people wanting to enslave black people. And with that, creating systems that made that make sense. If they said, actually, black people don't have the right brain, their brains aren't capable of being like us, it was basically creating a subspecies mm -hmm. and rationalizing why white men wanted to own black people, why they wanted to own women. This is how it's always been done. So if you're not going to look at it from that respect, you are missing half of the point. So that's essential in this conversation. You cannot look at these issues without looking at the root of the problem and how it's developed into this era um, and how it exists now in 2021. It's I, still relevant. Yeah, I absolutely love because I, I hadn't really thought about it like this, how you just um, said that a lot of this is based on how to be more like the white man mm -hmm. and how the white man's body and, and the, the way that the white man interacts in the world is often viewed as like the norm, the best. We should all strive to be like that. Mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, not something I had conceptualized that way, but it is so true. It's why like, you know, like everything you've said so far, why research is based on the white man's body, why, you know, even in the past, people are like, oh, you know, the only way to cure the illness that is being black is to find a way to turn these black people into white people. 
it's you know which sounds like a science fiction novel i'm pretty sure there is one that exists based on that can't remember the name but i know i read it in college well there was this whole pseudoscience that existed and was passed as pure fact called phrenology which is based on the idea that the shape and the size of your head therefore your brain is an indication of like your mental capabilities and how intelligent you are so it was to say that like and again, was this conversation was an easy way for them to make it the ideal white man model that yeah. white man is correct and anyone who looks different is wrong. Your your head shape is indicative somehow of intelligence. And what did they pick for the intelligent head shape? The white man, obviously. So these things, and of course, these things existed, passed off as real science. Um, it's hard to undo that for people. Uh, it takes a very long time and things like that still exist in today's age. I mean, we're still talking about BMI, like it's rational when here I am as someone who, yeah, I'm not skinny, but like, I don't think anyone sees me on the street and goes, wow, that girl is seriously overweight. Whereas the BMI is literally indicative saying, Hey, that girl's obese actually. Not only is she overweight, she's obese. And that's just not factual. That's just not factual. How dare I have a body that is average? It, it's really, it's wild because I think what we can see off of all of the, the examples of how this system and just healthcare broadly is has a lot of roots in motives of control and containment, particularly if we look at the things around slavery, like for the use for like profitability, you know, Oh, it's always, it's always white supremacy and capitalism's fault. Right. That's literally what I was getting at. But there's this vast connection because again, systems are intertwined. All the systems connect guys. And just like, Oh my God. It's like intersectionality is relevant. Whoa. Our favorite word. That's because it's the literal only lens to look at. If you're looking through any other lens, like if you're still listening to this podcast and don't think that everything needs to be intersectionality, uh, intersectional, please just hang up this podcast. Hang up. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Hang up the phone. Because it is. It's all intersectional. It's all connected like that. Um, And I think it's like, it's literally insane. Uh, There are some things that I particularly find interesting in terms of like the the mental health and psychology conversation more specifically um in terms of how we often take a carceral approach when it comes to mental health care and i I feel you definitely don't see this very much in physical in the physical health care world so that's a whole different conversation but i think again you know it's an intersection with the way that as a society we tend to be very carceral we want to just punish people or just like lock them away because that's that's the easy thing to do um yeah i mean in this conversation specifically the target is more often than not um young black boys mm -hmm. because it's often projected that any behavior normal rough housing that children engage in is somehow aggressive and deviant and there are this is often really common in the education system 
where the suspension rates of black, especially, and as well as Hispanic and native um, young boys are suspended, expelled uh, far more often for very, very um, trivial transgressions where in a normal context, you know, it's the conversation that for a white boy, it's boys will just be boys. Oh, they're just roughhousing. Oh, they're just messing around. Like the same behavior for a child, just being a child is projected as aggressive and dangerous where and it's similar statistics exist for children um, and black like teenagers being arrested at school. Like they bring cops in and it's horrifying because you know damn well that the white boys are not having those same issues. And that really seeps in. I assume this is why you started the conversation of like the mental health uh, issues that really put these behaviors even more at risk. Like, ADHD. So you're the hyper troublemaker. The white boys might get help, maybe detention. The black boys get arrested. Uh, any this- level of defiance, arrested, suspended. White boys just slapped on the wrist. So this exists, especially, and this exists, I mean, in po- police brutality, uh, variations of like constantly of. Um, black males, uh, young teenagers and children who are arrested or this is where issues of like killing people by police because the child has autism. The child has something that does not enable them to be able to, um, you know, evoke emotion the way they society wants them to. And again, these normal behaviors are seen as aggressive and dangerous. And this is how mentally ill black boys get shot. Exactly. This is exactly where I wanted the conversation to go. <laughs> Good. <laughs> like you brought it there. Amen. Because it's, it is so intertwined with the prison industrial complex, a lot of our mental health care. And that breaks my heart so much. If we look at, you know, and I, I say this all, I, I have to preface, I'm not a social worker. I'm not in school to be a social worker. Um, I, I don't have the, the like, you know, physical experience here. But from observations, um, my mom's a social worker. I've been within the mental health care system for many, many years now because I am mentally ill. Um, and so I can see uh, how a lot of these systems don't, don't work like they should. Um, I think too often it's easy to notice how social workers are really just functioning as police agents unless they're actively employing an abolitionist framework. And even then it's still not perfect because of the ways that, you know, state licensing laws and, and other things enforce this idea that you have to, you know, be a, a mandated reporter in certain senses and this is, it walks a fine line because some of this is important. You know, we do need to report abuse. We need to stop abuse. But the ways that the systems interact is that social workers become police agents and then CPS, Child Protective Services, uh, is just like the family police. There, there's got to be a better way. 
there just there has to be it doesn't it doesn't make sense and then you look at mental uh like mental health institutions or or hospitals and half the time they're basically just like prisons on light mode and again it walks a fine line because there are you know some people who are you know in a place where they are a danger to themselves and they need that oversight they need someone to be with them but it shouldn't be the kind of situation where we just throw anyone who needs some kind of mental help into this one size fits all solution where everyone's treated the same, everyone is given these same restrictions, and we expect that to help them. Because for the vast majority of people, locking them up and taking away their their belongings, their normal, is not going to be the solution. And then you, f- you realize that to get out of these mental institutions, it's often just how well can you comply with the situation? You know, how well can you listen to what's being told to you? Like, God forbid you have questions for the people who are trying to, you know, see you for a little bit and then give you a new diagnosis. It's, it's insane. And I just, ugh, it's, it, it makes me angry. It, it makes me just want to the, go in and change the whole system. Um, but, you know, I can't fix the world. <laughs> no, you cannot. What we can do is have these conversations and we can become people that are involved in these systems and try to undo some of the damage and, you know, implement new structures. And I know we talked about this like recently of just personally of like, you know, and it's becoming this, that this, this is a system like police reform that is, I don't know if it can be reformed. I think we're too far gone. I think you need to start over and you learn from what we, we did this time and we take that with us and build a new system. And cause this system's not working because although this, and especially like what you're discussing is not exclusive to people of color. This is happening to everyone um, this is happening no matter your race, gender, socioeconomic status. But of course, you need to know that it's essentially who's being targeted the most, who are being forced into these situations. Why do these pipelines exist and how can no one break free from it? Because these systems are targeting people of color. And that's all stemming from this system of not taking symptoms mentally or physically seriously for people of color, for children of color. Mm -hmm. And it threatens their livelihood, their ability to succeed. You know, what's essential here is prevention and intervention. When people are showing signs of distress, if a child is causing trouble in the classroom, what needs to be done is not sending them to the principal's office and suspending them at six years old, what needs to be done is having them have some intervention to prevent them from having a, to end up being a cog in this system that ends up with them in prison or dead. And they need intervention that's involving, you know, finding out what the root of the issue is. Are there issues at home? Are they not safe? Are they having mental issues that are preventing them from being able to sit in their seat. And, you know, ADHD is common and especially in little boys. So why isn't, why are you pretending like it's not common for a young black boy to have that same issue? Yeah. It needs, 
it needs intervention and appropriate appropriate measures taken before you're just like, oh, this kid is just actually deviant and there's something very wrong with them. They appear evil. Something tells me that there are uh, no children like that. <laughs> That's my personal opinion. I don't believe you're born evil, born deviant. I don't even love the word deviant. It is used to put people in boxes and label them as a problem so they're forgotten in this system. The system regarding physical health, mental health, education, mm -hmm. uh, incarceration. These are all relevant and that are pro providing these misdiagnoses, these misinformation that this person, this child is a problem when they're really just needing a little bit of an extra help like most of us. Most of us aren't just going to go out in the world and do perfectly fine. It's so much based on the money your parents make. Are your parents available and able to help you with your homework? Or do they have to work three jobs? Do you get to sleep at night? Or do you have to wake up hungry? These things make a difference. Not to mention having a chemical imbalance to potentially add more baggage. And then you go to school or you go hang out in the playground and people find you a problem or a danger. And it's, it's racist. And that's what's relevant here in this discussion. And I needed to talk about it is it's not existing simply as a problem for everyone. It targets people of color, specifically in mental health and physical health care for women of color. They are not believed. They are not treated the same. And that causes them to have higher death rates. And for young black boys, especially, they're often forgotten the system that leads you down this school to prison pipeline. It's not okay that we're existing in a system, even now where we're all saying like, let's talk about mental health. We should all talk about how we're all anxious and depressed. I love that. I love that we're trying to normalize that. But in normalizing it, we need to talk about the truth. We need to talk about how people of color are forgotten and that they are going to have far more serious consequences for being mentally ill and of color. This makes me think of one of my least favorite diagnoses that I've come across. Um, not for myself, just in general, because uh, there is a DSM-5 in my house. Um, you know, mom's a social worker, whatever. Have I glanced through it a few times? Duh, I'm, I like to learn. Um, but in conversations with, in conversations with my mom, through um, just like my own research, uh, the, the diagnosis ODD or oppositional defiant disorder, which is a disorder in a quote unquote disorder in a child marked by defiant and disobedient behavior to authority figures. Um, and it, which also, what's a really interesting thing that I learned from my mom is that this ODD diagnosis often ends up leading to a conduct disorder diagnosis. It's a prerequisite because they can't diagnose children with that disorder. So they made something up. Right. That's literally it's what it is. Like a conduct. Okay, cool. Um, and then that usually means that that child ends up with a higher chance of incarceration as an adult, um, which duh, because you're telling, you're labeling a child as uh, 
you know, defiant and disobedient. They don't listen to authority. Like, oh, I'm sorry, they don't compile enough for your system. Wow. Have we thought about maybe, hmm, what's going on in this child's life? Because at the end of the day, I would guarantee you that for a vast majority of of young kids, particularly young black children who are diagnosed with ODD, it is not that they just popped up the womb with a hate for authority. Like, no, something is happening. They are acting out. When children act out, they are communicating something with us. And this is my biggest pet peeve when people don't realize that. Like, of course, they're if they have an issue with the system, they're going to let us know. They are children. Like, they don't have any stake in the game for, like, oh, I'm going to lose my job if I say that this system is affecting me mentally. Like, no, they are children. They're letting us know that something is wrong. Maybe they wake up for school every day and they are upset and angry because they are hungry because they go home and they don't have food to eat. Or or they're just upset because nobody is listening to them in the classroom. Or they go to school and people are racist to them. And they know that this isn't how it should be. And so they are angry and upset with that. And that is valid. And so I hate this diagnosis because it it doesn't it doesn't look at the cause. And if you're not a good mental health professional who's going to look at this from an anti-racist framework, who is going to recognize that there's probably something more than just the the acting out that accompanies this disorder, it results in children just getting brushed aside as problem kids. Exactly. And one of the issues uh, with this diagnosis and similar situations of having very extreme consequences for normal behavior um, is that these things follow them. If you diagnose a child with this disorder or suspend them consistently, and this follows to the next teacher, to the next school, and they're automatically going to be pinned as a problem not worth dealing with. And no one's going to come to the rescue. You're pinning this child, wanting them to fail and not allowing them to be, to grow, to seek help. And it's, it's disheartening. It's infuriating and vital in these conversations. If we're going to come into this world of saying, we're going to make it normal. We're going to talk about mental health then we need to be having it from an intersectional lens. We cannot have this conversation if we are not going to talk about racism, um, sexism, all sorts of conversations, socioeconomic status. This is why it's relevant and it needs to be happening beyond just saying, here's the national suicide hotline. I need to start seeing people talk about the truth and not just what's a pretty picture. Mm-hmm. I am happy to see people take some kind of action, but it deserves a common conversation, an uncomfortable conversation, not just a month where people are like, I knew someone who wanted to die. Here's the national suicide hotline. I... I don't, I'd hate to be that person, but like, that's not helpful. It's not helpful. You're not not making a difference. Yeah. Let's not forget that so much of mental health issues can arise when our, our material and physical needs are not met. Uh, So if you really care about mental health, if you want people to be able to embrace um, mental health and combat mental illnesses, then you care about 
changing the the material experiences of of every individual that means ending homelessness that means making sure every child can have a free um and like healthy nutritious um something that's actually yummy to eat unlike <coughs> patterson public schools um if you haven't been following that go like google them on google Hmm. look it up on twitter people have been posting pictures of what those school lunches have looked like um i know it's in patterson i think it's in a couple other places in new jersey as well but just like public school lunches if you're in a lower income neighborhood i went to a higher income neighborhood and the food was heinous and like that's how you know they can afford it i mean public school of course also but yeah i mean it's it's that's that's what the takeaway is is that this is bigger than just caring about the pretty version of mental health. It need you need to be advocating for it all the time in all contexts. Um, and that's not to say that if you've ever posted the hotline and talked about it during Mental Health Awareness Month that you're that you've done something wrong. But it's having this conversation to encourage you to think about it more deeply. And to see where these intersections target certain people more and how you need to be advocating for change is in the system as well as changes in people's outlooks every day. Um, so caring about mental health is is enough, but we all need to be doing more. Always. We always need to be doing more. And having this conversation is a good start. So if you made it to the end of the episode, that's, you know, 10 bonus points. You get 10 bonus points. So you're doing great. <laughs> um, and yeah. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the greatest way to end an episode. Mm, uh, the end. <laughs> the end. But if you don't want this to be the end and you want to keep up with us on, you know, the internet, you can follow us on Instagram at Rebels Advocate Pod, on Twitter at Rebels ADV Pod. And on the general interwebs at rebelsadvocatepod.wordpress.com. And of course, our website is going to have links and resources and all sorts of fun stuff to follow through with some of the information we got, some other ways to continue the conversation and your growth in this uh, conversation. And, you know, read some academic articles. It's, it's a conversation that's like starting to be had. So engaged with that material We're at from beginning. reputable sources yeah. so, so you know finding our website is a good way to you know for us to show you the way show you, show you some articles to start your journey um yeah so we'll be back every tuesday and we'll have a guest next episode and they're another awesome person so stay tuned be excited we are and we will talk to you soon bye bye